Support for Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully so you can be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com/fool. It's Monday, September 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio Jason Moser and from Stock Advisor Canada. Taylor Muckerman. Thanks for being here, guys. Hey. Hey. We're going to dig into the dumpster fire that is Equifax. (laughs) Uh, But first, we should talk about uh, Hurricane Irma, which is still going on. But when you look at what is happening with the market, and in particular, the the reinsurance companies, and we'll get to those in a second, uh, you know, Again, the hurricane's still going on. We don't know the full extent of the damage, and we won't for some time. But I think I think it's fair to say that at this point, um, it is a weaker storm than we had all feared 48, 72 hours ago. And I think that that's being reflected in what we're seeing in the market today. Yeah, I mean, I think it's less bad than probably we expected. Now, with that said, I mean, having gone through storms like this, it's still bad. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, that, and that's course. the thing I don't want anyone to lose sight on because you see some sort of narrative out there that, oh, it's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. It's no big deal. It's actually a really big no. deal, and this is an utterly life-changing event for a lot of people, and not in a very good way. Um, but with that said, yeah, it does seem like it's it's taken it easy. My mom and dad are in southwest Georgia in Moultrie, which is like an hour north of Tallahassee. So they were kind of in that area, and I'll just read the text I got from them this morning. So far, we're good. The generator will work if needed. And so, hey, that's pretty good. That's they still good. got power. Yeah, yeah. Um, cousin of mine down in Jacksonville lost power. I have uh, some family in Charleston. And uh, some power on, some power off there. But it sounds like, generally speaking, most people there are okay. I think the concern with something like Southwest Georgia, you kind of get off the coast and you get into this middle. It's just a lot, a lot of pine trees there. And when a storm with high winds comes through like that, those pine trees just snap in half like matchsticks. Mm-hmm. And, and like the water, you can't stop the water. Man, when those trees come down, you can't stop that either. So any which way you cut it, it can be extremely destructive. Doesn't sound like it's going to be as bad, but it is still going to be very bad. And it sounds like there's still some storms developing out there. So uh, this could be still a volatile season. Well, stories of up to five million people without power. Some maybe for a week or more uh, after the storm finally does make its way through. And you're talking about five percent of the U.S. economy. So it could impact us nationwide for a few extra weeks, just like Harvey did with the infrastructure down there and doesn't necessarily impact the energy sector nearly as badly as Harvey did, but uh, 5 million people without access to power is certainly significant. Well, and you look at the, the you look at the reinsurance stocks, Universal Insurance, HCI Group, you know, they're all popping double digits today. And that's obviously nice for them and their shareholders. I think that one more long-term story that we're going to see play out over the rest of this calendar year is uh, the the day to day businesses the the restaurant groups uh, you know all of that and how much of their like I you know just thinking of Bojangles just to pick one name and just right. you know anything that is that concentrated in the southeastern United States um, I haven't looked at Bojangles stock recently but I'm assuming they're they're in for a world of hurt well yeah I mean that's a very good good 
point there. I mean, if you you could use Starbucks as an example and say, well, they're certainly not nearly as tied to that area because they are so widespread and everywhere around the world, whereas Bojangles certainly is is uh, very concentrated in that part of the country, and and Bojangles has has not been a terribly good investment since it's gone public. I mean, hey. I love the biscuits, but it doesn't necessarily <laughs> translate to a to an attractive stock, and um, and so yeah, I, th- I think that's really the most difficult part of it for anyone in that area. When when any of these storms ever go through, it's it's the small businesses, it's the businesses that rely on the day to day activity, because as we've said before, you can't get that activity back. Mm-hmm. You can only try to figure out a way to go forward. Um, and when we talk about the insurers, I mean, I think that's we talk about insurance a lot, and probably not as many people out there think about or know about how reinsurance works. But but yeah, I mean, that's the insurers for the insurers, right? And so it's just sort of this, <laughs> just pass the buck along, just like almost yes. perpetually, and in somewhere down the line, someone um, takes care of it. And, and you know, I mean, that's part of the benefit of having a strong economy with with uh, you know the taxpayer <laughs> at the end of the day you see a lot of that stuff just kind of getting lumped into into tax bills in some way shape or form at the end of the year but um, yeah I mean you, you whenever you consider an insurance company I mean you want to look at exactly how they're dealing with that risk what are they covering and then how are they dealing with that because uh, we see Buffett talk about it all the time I mean you're gonna have Plenty of years where these insurers don't really witness a whole heck of a lot of activity, but then all of a sudden you hit an active hurricane season and the tide goes out, and you kind of see who's uh, <laughs> who's exposed. Yeah. Well, and you know, you mentioned Starbucks, and obviously the the, the smaller businesses, um, uh, in some ways, uh, are well because they're not as diversified. They're not spread out all over the United States or or around the world, that sort of thing. That being said, I think when you when you take what's happening with Florida and the Southeast with Hurricane Irma, we're we're still surveying the damage of Hurricane Harvey in Houston and the port there and how much shipping goes through the port of Houston and these larger businesses and you can throw apparel retailers in there as well. A lot of them are running their businesses so close to the margin that it doesn't take a big disruption. They don't need a nationwide disruption to really crush them in one single quarter or a couple of quarters in a row. Yeah, you're not going to want to be holding on to a ton of inventory. So if you're missing a few trucks or a few rail cars of uh, inventory, you're really strapped there. And you definitely saw that with the the storm in Houston. And speaking of retailers, you've got a number of um, fairly large retailers with significant exposure to the Florida region and Irma's path. Abercrombie and Fitch, almost eight percent of their uh, total stores are in were in Irma's path. Uh, L Brands, six point five percent. So certainly some some retailers out there, especially with the back to school season still kind of in session. So um, some some worries there for some retailers that haven't been doing all that well lately. Let's move on to Equifax because uh, it's 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 easy to have missed this story just with with so much of the coverage and rightly so on uh, the storms recently. But uh, Equifax, which is uh, the credit reporting agency, late last week revealed an enormous data breach uh, that exposed personal information of up to about 145 million consumers and. Basically, every adult with a credit card in the United States. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and as we as we talked about on Motley Fool Money, uh, Ron Gross uh, found out that he was one of them. Um, and <laughs> I guess I just was thinking, I'm not so laughing, laughing at his misfortune <laughs> because I think we all kind of got screwed here. But I mean, <laughs> over the weekend, I think I saw some some stuff where if you like register for Equifax's like monitor year long monitoring, like apparently you're foregoing your rights to to class action yeah. lawsuits. Yeah. Have we have we advised Ron of this? <laughs> I feel like maybe we need to catch a, catch him after we get done taping here. Yeah, that and the auto renewal and or they charge a credit card at the years up for uh, for a new year of this service that. Yeah, the um, the way that Equifax has handled this, um, they appear to have made every mistake possible. This is a data breach that happened in late July. Uh, there were three executives who uh, sold stock before this information became public. Over a million dollars worth, I right? Believe, yeah. You know, before the stock tanked seventeen percent in the last two days, which is uh, what has been going on here. Um, yeah, they they. Uh, I use this word in air quotes, magnanimously offer a, a free year of uh, credit reporting. Um, but then, as you mentioned, Jason, people very quickly found out in the uh, in the small print was, oh, and by the way, you can't sue us if, <laughs> yeah. if you sign on for this. I mean, and they've got the data breach, and part of their solution is to say, well, give us your social security number, yeah. and we'll check to see if you... I mean, yeah, I feel really good about inputting my social security number on well, you know your website at this point. Well, and and I'm I'm waiting for some sort of uh, Uncle Sam knocking on the door moment here because I uh, part of my thought with Equifax is something, and I forget who made this point uh, earlier, um, just in the last couple of weeks when we were talking about Wells Fargo when Wells Fargo came out and said, "Oh, by the way, it's not two million fake accounts we created; it's yeah. three and a half million. And someone made the point. Hold my beer. If the, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> someone made the point. If this were a, if it wasn't Wells Fargo and instead it was a small community bank, the authorities would be kicking the door in and shutting them down. And I feel that. Equifax is sort of on that level here too. I'm waiting for someone from the federal government to knock on their door and be like, "We'd like to have a conversation with you." Yeah, I mean, I think that's distinctly possible. Now, I'm not sure how that impacts them at the at the at the end of the day. I mean, what Equifax does, I mean, they have a fairly diverse business. I mean, we know them for basically, uh, you know, credit reporting purposes. It's a fairly diverse business with uh, their biggest their biggest customer i think accounting for about 3% of, of total revenues so they they provide a lot of different services for a lot of different things now with that said i mean this is in the us information services segment of the business which is responsible for somewhere in the neighborhood of 40% of revenue but even more than more than half of the company's operating profits so i mean this does matter to the business um, but with that said and in is 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 i i feel like i'm about to Turn my nose up at even thinking about this, but the fact of the matter is, you have to ask the question: Is this an opportunity for investors? I mean, that's what we're here to do. Shares of Equifax are on sale. They are. <laughs> they are. I mean, is this something where you can you hold your nose and actually buy shares of this company today and feel good about it? Can you can you recognize that perhaps there's an opportunity here? Because I'll tell you what, we even went back through the um, the financial crisis. Boy, I tell you, a lot of people looked at Moody's and they were thinking the same thing, and we were thinking, man. It, 
this business was complicit and they need to fix something because something obviously went wrong. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That company has made it through relatively unscathed. It has rewarded shareholders. And we actually own Moody's today in million dollar portfolio. And part of that is because it holds a very enviable position in what it does as a ratings agency. And it's not been displaced. I mean, if the financial crisis, the <laughs> If, if that didn't knock this thing out, I don't know what does. And so, with, with Equifax, it still does something that is needed, but it's not. Its business isn't solely based on that. So, when you look at the business itself, I mean, there's some there's some attractive parts of the business. I mean, it's a nice top line that's growing at a reasonable rate. It, it produces very high margins, cash cash flow rich. Decent enough balance sheet. Now, sure, there's some leadership issues. I was going to say, how's, <laughs> I mean, how's, how's the management? How are we feeling about the leadership's management? Leadership's very fixable. I mean, I think you just get a few guys out, you bring another team in there, and who knows? I mean, I, I think, um, I think though, this is something that investors at least have to take a look at, particularly if you're a value investor, because I see sort of the, some similar traits as, as to something like Moody's. I don't think it holds that same enviable position as Moody's, but it's similar. And I don't know that it's necessarily going to be displaced by this. I think we're going to have a very long trail of litigation. It's going to go on for a, 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 who knows how long. I mean, it, it, it'll be quite some time. But but one thing I am very sure of, data breaches will continue to happen. It just happened to be Equifax this time. It's going to be someone else next time. It just happens. I mean, if, if these are man-made systems, they're hackable. And and so, you have to kind of look at it from that perspective. And from the investor's perspective, the, the stock has, has obviously gotten uh, throttled here the past few days, and rightly so. And I mean, there may be more, more to come here. But I think you have to be at least looking at this and thinking maybe there's an opportunity to make a little money. In a year from now, they might have a lot of recurring revenue suddenly jumping onto their income statement with all these folks signing up for this free service and still having to give their credit card number. We got to get Ron growing. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we, we got to talk to Ron. Can we pipe him in. <laughs> given his penchant for value investing, I think this would be right up his alley. So uh, I think we we yeah we we need to have a. Uh, we that is, a, the, you know what? That is absolutely the question. Ron's a, Ron's a value guy. Yeah. She got hit. Yeah. Is he going to be? He could at least break even. You know, he could, or he could just be so angry that he's like, no. <laughs> well, I tell you, the <laughs> other thing the that's going to be aside. fascinating here is, that, I mean, you sort of see this other narrative in that the IRS could could really be facing a big problem here too, just from the perspective of fraudulent tax returns, and that's where I start to get a little bit. Worked up because I mean I'm not the biggest fan of doing my taxes and I've I've you know just passed that on to someone else to do for me because I just I loathe the process from start to finish. But I mean if it's that easy for someone to go out there and just file a fraudulent tax return and the IRS just cuts them a check or or better yet just just you know direct deposits that money to their account. I mean that could be something else that really. Lasts for years and years. So I think you know the IRS is another example of an institution that is really going to have to take a look at their policies, their procedures, their process, and and try to figure out how they're going to overcome something like this. Because I think that could be a real threat, not just this year, not next year, five, ten years. This is going to be something that probably is ongoing for them. Before we move on, got to say thanks to our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Did you were you watching any football yesterday? I just watched a little bit. I watched a little bit. Saw some just saw some Rocket Mortgage ads. There you go. I was like, there are our friends. (laughs) Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, your life. Maybe Houston Texan fans were confident about how their team was going to do in their home opener with their emotional pregame ceremony. 
Little did they know that was going to be the high point for them. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple. It allows you to fully understand all the details and be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. I actually met a couple of the uh, Rocket Mortgage folks when I was up in New York last week for the, oh, yes. uh, the podcast upfronts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw you uh, take to Twitter with some math. Yeah, I like that. That's <laughs> yes. good. Yes, That's good. Yeah. I thought it made a lot of sense. Um, also, got the chance to hang out a little bit with Ira Glass from This American Life. Sneak, sneaky tall. <laughs> he's, a, he's a tall dude. I mean, you think coming from a tall guy. Well, yeah. but like he's you know he's got that voice and it's you know it's a little it's a slightly high pitched voice and I don't know I I never really I'd never seen him before in person. Anyway, very very nice guy. And I've heard him on my Echo at home. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Good to hang out with him. A um, couple of housekeeping notes before we wrap up. Um, I had mentioned I think this is a month or so ago. Because uh, it was probably on one of these episodes. Because um, uh, Jason, you had mentioned uh, Roku was coming out uh, with yes. with an S one, um, and I, without telling Dylan Lewis at Industry Focus, I I volunteered um, Dylan to do an S one episode of Industry Focus, and in fact, he did that last Friday. Outstanding. So, um, on Roku. On Roku, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dylan loves really digging into um, the S1. For, for those unfamiliar, the S1 is the paperwork a company files when they are going public. Uh, a lot of people out there have the Roku device. Interesting to hear Dylan and Evan New sort of break down the business of Roku. And um, I, I'm not going to spoil anything. I will simply say <laughs> this, and we talk about this from time to time, that when a company files to go public, one of the things they are doing with that document is they want that document to look as good as it possibly can. Oh yeah. They want the numbers to look as good as they possibly can. So just know that anytime a company goes public. And that's what's just a tiny bit sad about Roku's S1. <laughs> there are a couple of numbers that when you look at them year over year, you're like, ooh, that's, that's the best. That's probably not as great as you were hoping for. Well, it's like interviewing management. Like uh, I, I yeah. know that it seems on the surface like, oh wow, yeah, you got you go interview the CEO or the CFO for all. I mean, wow, that's great. Isn't their job really to make this thing look as good as possible? Yes. I mean, I'm not going to go be, hey, tell me about the state of your business. Well, Jason, let me tell you, it really sucks right now. <laughs> the strongest but we're we've looking had up for next year. I tell you, we've got some plans to turn this thing around. And no, I mean, that's that's really sort of the, 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 that's the tough one there, I think, with interviewing management that we, it's, 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 it's not an easy, easily answered question. I mean, you want to do it, but by the same token, you have to go in. Knowing that they're trying to paint the best mm-hmm. picture possible, you know. No, but I no, I agree with you. But I, that's why I think that some of the more interesting things that show up on conference calls when management is doing quarterly conference calls is the tone. Yeah, and that's where you know we can all as investors look at any company's numbers. We can look at their balance sheet and their income statement, and th- and those are objective. But part of this uh, process is. Evaluating the human beings, and sometimes it just comes down to your gut and what is the tone of voice of a CEO or any executive when they're talking about a challenge that they face or um, or an opportunity that they see, and do you believe them? And that's you know that's where a little bit of guesswork has to come in. Yeah, be interesting if video makes a bigger presence in conference calls or if it's pure. Well, audience. You know, I know we're Zillow's seeing companies. I mean, uh-huh. Netflix has obviously done that. Twitter yeah. has done that before. I, I mean, I I like that. I think it is pretty cool to actually see 
how the management team is sort of acting, how they're, they're sort of like carrying themselves. I mean, I don't think most will do it because it's extremely transparent, right, and yeah. I think people yes. at least want to have some. Um, <laughs> some wall up there to, to kind of keep from being too transparent, but generally speaking, I like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you know, whenever I see a management team that does that, it's encouraging to me at least. Was it about a? I think it was about a year before Yahoo got bought by Verizon. Uh-huh. They do you remember they yeah. did a conference call, and the body language of Marissa Meyer was. So telling and not in a good way. Sell, sell, sell. Yeah, it was just, yeah. So that's to your point, Jason. That's why I think most companies, there's there's no great incentive for them mm-hmm. to do it because if you say, oh, this t- we're going to do it for this quarter because we know we're going to crush this. That's quarter. right. You can't back out. And then, you know, it's it's kind of like guidance. You know, if you're going to give guidance, that's fine. But just know that if someday you decide, well, we're going to stop giving guidance, that's going to, you know, you're going to take a hit for that. Uh, tomorrow's episode on Market Foolery, Jim Gillies, back in the house. Been a long time since Jim Gillies. From the Great White North. Yeah, from the Great White North. He made it over the border. And (laughs) said he's just here for a a couple of days. Today and tomorrow, yeah. Yeah. So he'll be in studio tomorrow. um, And and maybe I'll ask him why he hasn't been here in so long. And and what, if anything, does that say about his personal security profile (laughs) with the United States Border Patrol? But maybe not. Anyway, <laughs> Taylor Markham and Jason Moser, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Forward. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>